we talk about how smart consumers are, and I, I'd like to believe that, but this documentary just blew a hole in that entire theory. That That is what we should be doing. I mean, obviously not in that way, and we should actually deliver on it, but that is how you sell stuff. That's like, hands down, the easiest way to do it. You know, this is our culture. This is the Instagram culture. We want to be in places that look pretty, that make us look pretty, that make us get likes, and then make other people feel jealous. There have been things in my work and in my life where in my mind I wanted to be this big extravagant powerful thing and logistically it can't happen that way. I think that that's why I wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt because I really saw myself in him. You know if your company goes down one day Michelle and like you know a blaze of glory all of these things about oh, going yeah. to these conferences and living <laughs> life man I can't wait to put this documentary together about your life. Hi, I'm Michelle, an entrepreneur and creative business coach. Hi, I'm Steve, and I'm a social media and digital content strategist. We're friends with a shared passion for creativity in all its forms. Through this podcast, you'll find ideas to help up your game and share experiences with a community of creatives who understand what it's like to work and create in a digital world. If the episode you're about to hear sparks something inside you, share your voice by connecting with us on social media, at pod for creatives on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Let's talk about the fire documentary. Yeah, Firefest. Did you buy tickets to it? <laughs> no, but you know what I found interesting about like I know we have a lot to get into with this, but I'm just going to just rip the bandaid right off and go right to the part of this that just blows my mind that some of these individuals, if you haven't watched the documentary, first of all, the Netflix one or the Hulu one, I hear that they're both a little bit different in terms of the context, but watch it. That being said, the people who spent money to 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 go to this thing after things seemed fishy, right? Like mm -hmm. after they realized that this wasn't going anywhere and um, or or at least there were some cracks in the foundation, they got sent communications by this group down there about how you gotta preload these bracelets to put more money on it. So that's how you're gonna spend your money when you get down here, that's going to be your money. Yeah. And people just willingly forked over more money, even though the situation didn't seem, you know, completely kosher to begin with. Are we that dumb of a society? Do you know what I think it is? I think that anyone who had the money to go to something like this, it's just disposable income. So I'm sure that they just didn't even think twice about it. Right. Maybe there were people who were like, this seems fishy, but they had the money to say, like, I'll just take the risk and go for it in any way. I overthink things way too much. I don't think I could even, like, remotely come close to pulling the trigger about doing that just blindly based off of a couple of web articles and a social media post or two. Yeah. I don't know. What did you think about... I felt like they did not really highlight this in a big way, but there was definitely one of the people who they interviewed was one of the the like the rich kids basically who bought a ticket to go to this and he actually ended up like suing them right at the in yeah. the end yeah um and i felt like i was surprised that he agreed to be in it because they didn't over the top call him out and say you're stupid <laughs> but they kind of did Right? When his name bar when his name bar came up on the bottom of the screen, it just said "sucker" underneath. Yeah, his name. I mean, pretty yeah. much. Like the, I, I felt like they kind of used him to represent all of these people. 
And yeah, that's I guess a tough he, spot to be in because there's, you know, there are plenty of other people who were, who were, you know, hook, line, and sinker that kind of fell for that. But there wasn't a lot of con. That's the thing I can't get over, and and this is the part that, like, you know, from a from a uh, an influencer or a marketing standpoint, like the number one rule of marketing is don't lie. I'm not saying people don't break the rule. I'm just saying that the number one rule is don't lie, and. These were blatant lies that were told after they, you know, soon thereafter realized that they don't have the funds to do this. But I feel like there should have been a moment of reflection by the people who were kind of receiving these lies and saying there are puzzle pieces here that don't add up. And I have a I have a parallel story that I know you're slightly familiar with, but I'll share that a little over a year ago. There was a concert opportunity that I had a, a chance to go to. Um, it was up here in Albany. They were reopening the the Times Union Center, which is like the main arena in our city here. And um, they did a grand reopening of it. They did a bunch of renovation work on it. And they were um, about a month before the uh, the renov- the grand reopening, they announced that they're going to have a concert. And it was going to be James Taylor and John Legend. And um, it was going to be emceed or hosted by... Uh, Jim Belushi. Now, I saw the announcement for it and I went, wow, James Taylor and John Legend. Like, that's really cool. Like, what? How, what when would you ever have the opportunity to see these two guys, sometimes individually, let alone together? Yeah. So, like, you got to take advantage of it. But then, like, I started thinking about it more and I'm going, Jim Belushi. Like, you know, like <laughs> Jim Belushi in this equation is my job rule. Like, like there's there was a moment where I was just like, this is this is who we pulled. Like you have one of the greatest musicians of all time. You have John Legend, who is, you know, um, just phenomenal. And then you had Jim Belushi. So I started thinking, like, something's not adding up here like this. This can't be right. But I went ahead and I bought tickets. And, you know, ordered the tickets and we were ready to go. And about a week before the concert was supposed to happen. I get a text message from um, from Ticketmaster saying that the event has been post uh, the event has been canceled and the context behind it was that the concert organizer did not have the funds to basically put on the show. So there were some narratives about James Taylor waving his fee and and John Legend waving his fee, but there wasn't going to be enough money to do it. And I just couldn't get past it. I was watching the Firefest documentary of thinking about that and going like it seemed very similar. It was like they promised this big thing. It was going to be huge. It was going to be this reopening with Belushi and Taylor and John Legend. And they just couldn't deliver on it. Now, I'm grateful that I got my money back outside of, you know, these other people, obviously, maybe not, you know, not so lucky, but like very, very similar. Oh, yeah, that is that is similar. And based on what you were asking in the beginning of this episode, I feel like I know it's different, but like you're asking the question, like, were these people that stupid? And like, maybe they were just like you and they questioned it, but like they wanted it to happen so badly that they overlooked it. I'm trying to like, just think of it like in like a scale perspective. Okay. It's good that you got your money back, but like, if you didn't, it would not be the end of the world for you. And I think the same is true for a lot of these people who bought tickets for fire. You don't think it's that big of a deal to them? I mean, I think they, they're like, they're annoyed. But as far as money loss, I mean, they had enough to, to buy the tickets in the first place. And I'm not saying it's like right or wrong or anything like that. But I don't know. If it was me, I think that I would have been far, far more upset about 
the getting stuck there. There were two things that gave me major anxiety in watching this. But the number one is the thought of like showing up somewhere remote and having like nowhere to like be to put your stuff. Yeah. Like let no- alone the the conditions. I mean, how about the rainstorm the night before that just like, you know, everything was soaked and you know, the, the you know the, the group came like, you know, what was it, like two hours before they were supposed to or something like that. They thought they had time to like do a few things. And, then, you know, the planes that are usually like not on time in those airports are like like on they were running early that day. Yeah, I think that that's my nightmare is being somewhere where like I don't have a place to be. And um, I don't know if you saw our friend Sunny Leonard Doozy's Instagram story a few days ago, but she's in Hawaii right now. And she went and did like this expedition somewhere where she and her husband like they they drove out in like a Jeep and it was like an eight eight hour like excursion. Like I do not like doing that when I go on vacation. <laughs> I don't like going anywhere where I'm like so far away. I'm like already in an unfamiliar territory and then I have to go really far away. I don't know. That's just it really stresses yeah. me out and it, it made me think of it. I'm like, oh, this is like kind of like fire. Like they could get stuck out there and have nowhere to sleep. Yeah. Like it, it's not a similar thing, but when we were on our honeymoon, we went to, um, we were in Mexico and we went to go see the Mayan ruins and to go to see the Mayan ruins. It was like this very long, um, we were with other people on this like bus, but mm-hmm. it was this very long trek on a brutally hot day to get to this, like this area. And then like you had to walk through this, like forest type like it's not the right word but like this forest thing into this place that's very secluded and and uh, i had that thought for a while where i was just like what if i don't come back i don't know where i am like i don't know i don't know what i'm doing here uh it was very lord of the flies-esque where you're just like this might have to be a survival of the fittest moment that is exactly what i was thinking of like lord like that situation in fire was like a Lord of the Flies thing where they, they had no food and they had no water and they got stuck and they couldn't get back. So right. yeah, that, I think that's worth that. That guy's suing over money aside. Like that is a horrible thing to have to go through. I, I kept being left with this feeling of you had to have started to realize that something didn't seem whole here. And there were plenty of articles about it, that things were in kind of kosher and, you know, you were getting the same, like, you know, for an event like this, especially from a social standpoint, like if you're doing it right and clearly they, they started out trying to do it right. I mean, there goes back to that lying, don't lie, you know, your first rule of marketing, but they went back and basically did this whole photo shoot with a bunch of models and, and, and made it seem like this was what you were going to see or this is what you were going to experience when you come here. Clearly that wasn't the case. But I guess the the part that I have a hard time getting over is, is that after a while when they were talking about the different social posts on the Instagram account, like they were starting to repeat themselves like they were very repetitive, like the images were the same and, you know, there wasn't really anything that was like new. And that to me is like someone who works in digital and sees the same things recycled, like it, it doesn't have the same like feeling that it does for this but like I always look at it I'm like well there's someone who doesn't either have the time to develop content doesn't develop content very well or as opposed to like this situation which is like I just plunked down thousands of dollars to go do this 
And I'm not seeing anything that's making this feel like this is going to be a really worthwhile experience except the same recycled old photos. And you're not giving me context about where I'm staying, you know, what we're doing, where the food's coming from. Like, uh, I don't know. I, I, I get it that like, you know, this is people might look at this and go, eh, what the hell? It's not that big of a deal, you know, but I feel like people should be smart. Or I mean, we live in this consumer society where like we talk about how smart consumers are. And I, I'd like to believe that. But this documentary just blew a hole in that entire theory. When people were seeing those promos, like, you know, the models on the beach and the, the yachts and all of that. Do you think that there were people who like thought, oh, this event has happened before and I just didn't hear about it? Like maybe it wasn't called fire, but like. Maybe they did a a sneak preview or something like that. I think we're I think we're a culture that just wants to be a part of something. We just want to be a part of something and be on the cutting edge of something because things happen so quickly that once it happens and you find you finally like join it, there's a little bit of like, oh geez, other people know about this already. I'm gonna seem like I'm like, you know, mm-hmm. climbing on. And I think people are so desperate to be on the cutting edge of things and feel like they're in they're in the in crowd that they jumped at this opportunity because whether they they felt it was new or whether you know whatever the reason was you know this is our culture this is the instagram culture we want to be in places that look pretty that make us look pretty that make us get likes and then make other people feel jealous i think that's what billy mcfarlane and his team you know i'm not going to indict everybody because i think there were some smart people or at least in the documentary they appeared to be smart people but I think that's what they were banking on. I think they were banking on selling somebody on on smoke and mirrors and they were going to figure it out later um, and hoping that the funds and the money would come in and people would continue to be kind of foolish enough to keep paying. And that's what it is. It's I think it's our egos that, that get in the way of a lot of these. We want our friends to feel like we want them to be jealous of us. I kept trying to look at this objectively from a, a marketing standpoint and Everything that was like bad that he did that didn't that they didn't deliver on aside and just look at the marketing, they did everything right. I mean, they basically in going out there and shooting all of that footage and and all that content ahead of time was basically creating a case study for the event. It was people saying, here I am having an amazing time. This could be you. Yeah. For any of us who sell something I mean that that is what we should be doing I mean obviously not in that way and we should actually deliver on it but that is how you sell stuff that's like hands down the easiest way to do it the interesting thing to me is like I don't I don't know enough about I don't have enough knowledge about this and if you do or if other people who are listening to this do certainly wear that hat but like festivals like Coachella um, or or Burning Man or, or or you know any other kind of music festival I feel like the communication around the music festival is about the actual festival. It is about the music. Um, it is about the, um, you know, what you can expect being there. It's not about everything else around the festival. And that was the hollow promise of all of this from the marketing standpoint to me. It was selling every bell and whistle, but not the actual festival piece of everything. And that was that's what was strange to me about all of this. It was it was you know it's like it's akin to selling the Super Bowl. And not talking about the game. You talk about the, the the city that it's in. You talk about the music act that's going to be doing at halftime. But you're not actually talking about the reason why everybody's coming there. So, again, like, it was very hollow in the sense that 
these false promises that you know the the branded jet experience that people were going to get and all it these things like, really cool right but like it had <laughs> nothing to freaking do with the event and i guess that's the part of this that again you know i don't mean to keep putting it back on people but that's the part of it that's the takeaway that i have is the people coming to this do they ever ask like any other musicians coming besides Blink-182? I don't like, think was, they even cared about so the Blink-182. I think that they probably needed something to say, you know, it's kind of like the turkey on Thanksgiving. Like, a lot of people don't even care about the turkey, but you still need to have it. Like, mm-hmm. they needed to say, okay, this is an event where, all right, well, there there will be musical performances. That will be the center of this. But, like... That's not why you're coming. You're coming to the branded jet and to stay in these cool places and gourmet meals and to be seen. I think above yeah. above all, even though that's not what they were marketing, that is what people were buying. And I just So let me ask you this. You just came back from a conference mm-hmm. um in the last couple of weeks and it's no secret. We follow each other on social media. We might as well just tell people. Um, <laughs> I felt out. like, right. Yeah. I felt like some of the, like some of the stuff that you were sharing while you were there, like there was some really good, like inspirational stuff, but like there is an element of being like, I'm going to freaking tout that I'm at a conference and other people aren't. And I'm going to make people feel jealous about that. Right. I'm going to show them I'm hanging out with this person and I, and I, and I'm, and I'm having this food and I'm, you know, the, you know, I'm at this event. Like, isn't there an element to that in your, in, in, in any kind of communication? Because I'm guilty of doing it too from time to time. But do you feel like, not that that was your main intent, yeah, but that that was like in your mind, in your subconscious somewhere? Of course. I was just going to say, I, it was probably more subconscious. I don't think I went there saying like, I'm going to show everyone that I'm here. But there is something to be said about that. It That is our human nature that we want to impress people. We want to show people that we're important and that we know other important people. And yeah, I was just going to say what's what's ironic about you bringing this up is I have had my business for like a long time, but I have always been terrible at marketing. Like I just haven't made it a focus. I'm a content creator first. That's what I love doing. And if it was up to me, I would just create my content and never have anybody buy it. I don't even care. But, you know, I'm running a business. I have to make money. I So I had to learn how to market myself. And I actually learned how to do that in the proper way as a result of going through this program that was attached to the conference that I was just at. And one of the first things we learned was when you're marketing something, there is the thing that you need to deliver, like the transformation that you need to provide for the person who is buying your product or service. But that is not necessarily the thing that people want to buy from you. So you have to be able to present an offer that says, hey, I'm going to give you this thing that you want. But then once they receive it from you, whether that's you know signing up for your program or buying your product, you are actually providing them with a the thing that they need in order to make the transformation that they want. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Absolutely. But that's not what happened here. No. I mean, they, they were promised <laughs> everything and, and got none of it. And, you know, I, I, there was an interesting you, you make you bring up a good point because there was an interesting in the Netflix documentary, at least I can't I can't speak for the Hulu one. I did not see the Hulu one. Me either. But there was an interesting analogy that was made at one point in time in the documentary about Woodstock and how Woodstock gets remembered for this like 
this, you know, complete, you know, revolution, you know, amazing musical acts. You know, there's 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 story upon stories of the the time that the music acts were up there. Well, you know, that the, I'm thinking like Jimi Hendrix waking the crowd up playing, you know, the 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 um, the national anthem on his guitar and this like all of these things that are like completely driven towards the music and yet and, and you know and and the you know the peace and love and all this other stuff. The backstory behind a lot of these things is is that like people died, people people over overdosed, traffic was like the the throughway was shut down in New York State. Um, it was a disaster from a logistics standpoint, but none of that really gets remembered. It's a footnote in all of this. Mm-hmm. Now, he, and now, granted, the thing actually happened. You know, like music <laughs> acts actually played. You know, so like, it, okay, it was. It's a little bit different. But I found that interesting that like they were these fire fests, um, the staff, you know, Billy staff and whatnot were like making comparisons to Woodstock and saying like, well, you know, this is remembered for this, you know, but, you know, we're remembered for, you know, basically this disaster. And I thought it was an interesting comparison because both of these things had logistical nightmares involved in it. But one of them went pretty well according to plan and the other one just completely blew up. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know if it's because of the way our social media world is that all of this attention that was given to it and the and the speed in which you can start to like tell people how bad things are like that guy who was tweeting everything out from like the moment things went wrong, you know, applies. I do wonder if that actually was how it was in 1969 at Woodstock. Would it have been the I same? I probably would have been, but you know, like, but it's not what it's remembered for. Like what if social media had existed at Woodstock? I mean, oh, maybe, oh. maybe it really would not have been any different other than we would have more documentation of it. Like, I think that all of those things, you know, people dying and overdosing and the throughway traffic would have probably still existed. Sure. I sure. mean, maybe if people had ways they could have like gone back roads to get there and they, it could would have, have taken the taconic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Little little inside um, geographical humor for our New York, New York State, State friends. Yeah, yeah. I guess it, I, I I just you know I, I there's no denying that social media both helped and then hurt this mm. this endeavor. But again I, again like I think it speaks to the smartness of the consumer. I mean like or dumb enough thereof. to get well dumb enough to get duped into this, but smart enough to use the power of social to expose what was happening for what it was. And to draw attention to it. I think that's the double-edged sword to social, though. And that's where, you know, lying up front to your customers can backfire. I mean, that's it happens all the time when you can't deliver. Do you feel like everything aside that it was a good marketing campaign, like pretend that they had delivered on everything, all of those things that they promised actually exist or existed and everything went to plan as was promised do you feel like that was like a really successful approach to all of this? Would you have done anything differently? Assuming everything went yes. went well? Yeah. I mean, like if you achieve your desired outcomes, I mean, I think you have to say this, the, the, the you know, the strategy was a success. I, I think the argument with influencer marketing from this situation, like, you know, there are people who are trying to make the case that like influencer marketing, you know, w- you know, it was a success. I, I don't really think it was a success. I think what it did, though, is shine a light on macro versus micro and how as a as a society, I mean, we're much more in tune with I think we trust 
micro influencers much more so than we do macro influencers now. And we're much more quick to call out macro influencers because of their notoriety. And I think because we like to tear people down. So, you know, celebrities Mm. and and known public figures, I think we're much more forgiving around micro influencers because the idea behind micro influencers is, is that that person has a genuine passion for whatever it is they're talking about. It's not a Kylie Jenner passing thing where it's just like, hey, I'm going to collect a paycheck and I'm just going to say, hey, go to the fire fest. It's a whole different ball of wax. I think what it does is it shines the light on the need for more micro influencers and people who are passionate about, you know, are not afraid to stand on a mountaintop and shout their their love for whatever it is they're talking about and get behind it emphatically 100 percent. I think we need more of that in our in our influencer world. So do you think that this tainted just using influencers in general at all? Or do you feel like this was like so such like an isolated thing? that didn't really affect other industries that people are not even taking that into consideration, either, either hiring or putting themselves, someone putting themselves out there as an influencer. I don't think they're going to, they're going to change necessarily anything. I don't really think it changes if, you know, if people want to use macro influencers and celebrities, people have been using celebrities to endorse products for years. I mean, I mean, years, you know, wearing Mm -hmm. things, selling things, radio ads, TV ads, none of that has really changed. I I do think what this does though is it 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 draws the attention to to the micro influencers again not to be redundant but you know like they tend to have micro influencers tend to have more of an engagement rate um because they're more likely to influence their audience directly like think about you for a second uh, you may not consider yourself this but I think you have these micro influencer tendencies and I think one of the main reasons why people trust you in your area of expertise and in your field is because a, number one, you're smart, you're passionate, and you also interact, you're human. So all of those things add up to somebody who goes, okay, they know what they're talking about, they, they talk to me, I, I feel like I know them, I'm going to go along with what she's saying. It's really hard for me to get behind a celebrity endorsement for something because that always seems so hollow, it always seems so inauthentic. For, for sure, they're cheaper, but um, I, I think if they went with micro-influencers, I bet you it could have saved those guys millions of dollars and maybe they would have had money to actually put on something halfway decent. Might not have been what they promised, but it could have been a lot better than than a cheese sandwich between two slices of bread. Oh, that was another bad part about it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Haunted by those cheese sandwiches. (laughs) So I have a question for you. I always like to give people the benefit of the doubt. I like to think the best in people. So for the first, I feel like for 75% of this documentary, I was giving this guy the benefit of the doubt. I was thinking like, this is someone who just got in over his head. He did really want to put this on. He wanted this to be fantastic. He was just in denial about what he was actually capable of. Do you think that he had malintentions from the beginning or do you think when this first started, he was like, we're going to do this and it's going to be awesome? Or do you think he went into this saying, like, let's just get as much money as we can. And if the, if it works out, it works out. But if it doesn't, it doesn't well, matter. If you think about the people who were around him, who seemed to be like the most in touch with who he is, they all said he was brilliant. I mean, they all said he had I mean, he, he reminded me of this Gary Vaynerchuk type personality where, you know, he was smart and energetic and and good looking and funny and engaging and all these things that you you know that people are attracted to. And he had a lot of money. 
and you know it seemed like people placed a lot of trust in his in his in his work ethic and his demeanor and so I'd like to think this was something that he felt like yeah he could make money on but he could also give back to people and you know I think where it fell apart was in you know the people who he had working on this never really did any of the things that he was intending to do you know they didn't have people who were concert organizers or festival organizers like none of these people did this work so you know I'd like to believe in the best, you know, I mean, he seemed as the, as the documentary went on (laughs) and you learned a little bit more about him towards the end that he was kind of like cooking up another scheme after he was already arrested for all this stuff. Yeah, that's what I was kind of like, oh, come on. There's a part of me that makes you think that he's like, you know, he's a little disingenuous. I'd like to think that he was trying to do this for a legitimate reason. But, you know, if you were trying to do that, I think you would also try to have the right people around you. I mean, isn't that, that's kind of the idea behind like running a company, like, you don't bring in people who think exactly like you and talk exactly like you. You bring in people who are smart in different areas who can help strengthen the whole. It's not who we pick to uh, to put on that firing line. That's true. So this what do you is, think? Well, this was the other thing that was giving me anxiety. <laughs> well, beyond I was, the cheese sandwich. <laughs> beyond the cheese sandwich, beyond being stranded somewhere, like away from a nice hotel. We joke about this a lot on the podcast that – I have a lot of big ideas and I have a lot of big things that I want to do. And you were the one in this partnership who's always like, Michelle, calm down. Like, we can't do that yet. I was relating to him in the beginning wanting to plan this event. There have been things in my work and in my life where in my mind, I want it to be this big, extravagant, powerful thing. And logistically, it can't happen that way. I think that that's why I wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt, because I really saw myself in him. Maybe all creative people are like this, but like, we want to do big, cool things, but we have to be able to make a plan. We need to have a partner or we need to have a team of people to say, to bring you back to reality and say like, yeah, we can't do it exactly this way, or we can do this, but like all of these things need to happen in order for your vision to come to life. Yeah, I guess I'm just much more cynical than that. I just, you know, I, I saw him immediately and I was just like, this guy's a scumbag. <laughs> like, I, I mean, I don't mean that exactly, but like there was just something about him that seemed slimy from the get go that you just didn't want to get behind a guy like this. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's envy. Maybe it's something that, you know, that he's somehow he's worked his way up and maybe I'm not taking anything away from him, but he's worked his way up to this position and he has all this money. And here I am, you know, plodding along at a nine to five job every day being like, I'm looking at this going, you're doing this incredibly wrong. How are you worth so much more money than I am? You know, it's just, Mm -hmm. it's mind boggling, but alas, there we are. I have a podcast and he's, (laughs) he's scamming people out of money. So, you know, it's, he might be in jail. Right. He could be. I don't know. Is he? I, I don't, I don't know. They, I don't remember. That that part was kind of vague at the end. Yeah. The part that a couple of coworkers and I continue to, to, to marvel <laughs> at, and this is a little like not safe for work, but the gentleman who almost um, performed an act on another gentleman to like <laughs> settle up a, 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 you know, a money that was owed. Like, yeah. I think this is what everybody is talking about. And this guy yeah. has become... A legend. I mean, you even used his, he has a GIF on Instagram. You used it in our story yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. I love this guy. I mean, like (laughs) he just seemed like the most level-headed, normal person throughout the entire thing. And then all of a sudden he was like getting ready to go. (laughs) 
he was getting ready to go do this. And like, I think that was the moment where like it clicked for him that like, I'm about to go do this to, um, keep this guy's like pipe dream afloat. I think I'm a little bit more self-respecting than that. Um, yeah. Holy smokes. I don't know. I like the more that I've thought about it and just seen this guy's face, like show up like everywhere in memes, like he's he, this guy is all over social media. I guarantee if you're listening to this, even if you haven't seen this documentary, you've seen this guy. And I don't know that I was like second guessing. I'm like, is this even, is this real? Like, is this guy for real? Well, this was the guy that was backing him the whole time. This was like, you know, he's come in to help like get things right and, and, and see things through in the past with, with Billy McFarlane. But like, that's what he was basically brought in to be the fixer. And, and at every turn he was realizing it was getting worse and worse. And he kept getting put in more precarious and precarious positions, literally to do these things. And, and, oh man, like I I loved him to start. And then like, as it went on, I'm just like, you're as dumb as the rest of them are. (laughs) What do you think that you, I mean, not saying that you would be that guy, but like, let me just answer the question. No, (laughs) no, no, that's not what I'm going to ask you. If, you were working on this campaign and you saw where things were headed. Like pretend that you're you in your role. Like you're not a fixer. You have, you do your job, but pretend you were doing that for him. Like you were hired to work on this events. What would you have done? Would you have, and, would, I, and would, I saw where things were going. Yeah. Would you quit or would you I'd just a, I'd a ride ship. it out to the end? I had a jump ship immediately. If yeah. I knew things were going down and he wasn't listening. Yeah. But you never did, see they, car- did they know? Did they really, really know? I think a lot of them did. I mean, at least, the, you know, some of the ones that they were talking to on the on the documentary, I felt like a lot of those individuals saw what Billy refused to see. Not that Billy didn't see. It was what Billy refused to see or acknowledge. Okay. If it were me and I was trying to make a case and it wasn't going my way and I'm realizing the reality of this, I'd have, I'd have jumped ship immediately. Like those cartoons where they just leave a puff of smoke behind them, that would have been me. <laughs> just, I'm out of there. Oh, well, I'm not proud to say this, but I think that I probably would have stuck around longer than you. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, I think is that this like, is this like the Pollyanna, you know, like, like you just want to see the good in, in, in this situation or like you really thought that this could be rescued and you wanted to put, put this concert on more so that I, I think that there probably would have been a small part of me that could have been like, no, like we can make this work. We can save this. We can, we'll, we'll figure something out. Like I always want to be the person who can like figure something out. So I just feel like you have to, you know, we've talked about like the importance of planning, uh, and, and episodes in the past. You're like, like, Michelle, we've had this discussion before we <laughs> talked about the importance of planning. <laughs> no, no, Michelle, <laughs> but like, isn't that the whole thing? Like you're evaluating how things are going along the way. And if you're missing the mark every time when you're evaluating the situation, something has to change. And sometimes it's, you got to move the cheese a little bit. Like you got to change the goal up. And, and I, you know, I just felt like he was way too far into this to that, at that point in time to, to, to change anything. But the evidence was there. I mean, there was nothing that was saying that they were, you know, that they were in the black. I mean, they were bleeding money hourly. It seems like, I mean, how about when he just like would fly back to New York and then come back with, a couple of more million dollars to put towards the project that somebody like, you know, that, that they, he was gifted or, or raised or whatever. They were in essence living like hand to mouth mm-hmm. trying to plan this thing. I don't know. So you just stayed, huh? Yeah. I, I also, 
again, maybe I'm just giving too many people the benefit of the doubt, but I'm I'm thinking about not that I've had very many full-time jobs, but thinking about these organizations, like sometimes you really don't have all of the information. You may have like snippets and you may know what you are working on, but other than that that one guy like his his right-hand men I, <laughs> I feel like there's a joke in there somewhere. There was, but go on. <laughs> I I feel like everyone else was like I'm thinking about that that one woman the Asian woman who oh, like, yeah. like with the glasses. I felt like I, I identify with her. I felt like she was like a really smart person who just wanted to do her job and who wanted this thing to work, but she kind of got swept in with it. And I think that she was kind of there until the end. Yeah, she definitely stayed through that. I don't know. I, I guess I just care too much about doing things the right way than to get sucked into doing something the wrong way and feeling like I have to carry somebody else's water. Maybe that's just like, I don't know if it's being a team player or not being a team player, but it's I don't being know. a smart person. <laughs> well, it's also looking out for number one. And I, and I mean, there's there's got to be an element of that because clearly the only person that Billy was looking out for was Billy in this case and Billy's reputation. I like the, I like the whole you know, storyline about how the influencers in many ways were influenced by this, these promises. I mean, usually they're the ones trying to compel and sell people on certain things. And yet they were the ones who were promised all of these things too. you know, three days on this, on this, you know, beachfront villa and all the, you know, all these things and gourmet meals and whatever it is. And they didn't get any of that stuff either. I mean, you know, there was just, I mean, up one side and down the other from the people coming to this thing, to the influencers, to just, yeah, lies. What do you think culturally is going to come out of the, of the documentary itself? Like, do you think anything is going to change for anyone? I mean, we're sitting here having a discussion about it. Do you think it's going to, there are going to be people who sign up to work on projects and they're like, oh, like, I got to be careful because like, or do you think people like won't trust each other as much? I would hate to think think that that would happen after watching it. I think people have been lying to each other and trying to pull one over on each other since the Trojan horse days. And I think that if you're not learning from something like that, you're never going to learn. And I think this is just something else that um, has happened in our history that will be. Yeah, I remember when that happened, but I don't think people are going to change their their practices over it. Um, I think ego in this social driven world is um huge and i think some people it costs people big time and it certainly did or it seems to have here but i don't think it's going to change i mean do you think people will will, will structurally look at what they were doing and no. do it differently yeah no i don't they should have been providing their influencers with more concrete things that they could be using on their accounts to share as opposed to just the square walking. Yeah. Or, or being seen on a beach, you know, um, I, I think that was what, that was the downfall. It didn't have enough concrete stuff to believe in. They certainly fooled a lot of people, but looking at it objectively, they could have done a lot more about telling the truth up front and, and not, I'm not talking about telling the truth like it's going down. I'm talking about telling the truth about what to expect and deliver on the expectations that you set and that are actually realistic to be able to deliver on. All of that was missed. If I could like sum up like my biggest takeaway from this is people see what they want to see. And that, and that is why all of those people bought tickets. And that's why all of them 
went out there, even with all of the fishiness that happens, they wanted to believe that this experience existed and they wanted to be part of it so badly that they were able to put on blinders and overlook the lies. Right. I think people, you hit it. I think people just want to be a part of things. And I mean, we talk about people always wanting to be a part of experiences through online and digital, you know, technology, digital content. I think this is just another thing that people wanted to be a part of that they saw an opportunity to produce digital content from. And it, it obviously backfired. I think that's the part that I found the most hilarious. I mean, you know, you can look at this from a, you know, industry standpoint, and we certainly have um, throughout this this episode, and we can look at it through a, a cultural aspect and a society aspect. Like Gary Vaynerchuk has this has this um, mantra of document, you know, don't create, and in essence, it's it's the documenting your journey as as an entrepreneur, you know, putting it out there, showing people what you're going through, and. I don't know. I have my, my thoughts on that in general because that assumes that people are actually interested in what you're doing, which I think is a huge assumption. Um, but when something like Firefest happens and they're documenting the, the journey and it crashes and burns the way it did, it is incredibly compelling. Yes. And I, I think that's like the thing that's left out of Gary Vee's line about like it's the document don't create show people your journey and your and your climb. But when it goes the wrong way, <laughs> like it's hilarious. Yeah. People love train wrecks. I, I just could not. Why get over is that? that? Why uh, do well, we like this oh, stuff? We like building people up and then tearing them down and then building them back up. Oh, they're not going to hear the end of Billy, <laughs> uh, Billy McFarlane. He'll be back. He'll do something big and people will get behind him because he's. He's risen from the ground and it'll happen. This is one of the first times that I can remember like something like this happening where you had all of this footage that was like showing everything from like, you know, people stressing out to, you know, these lavish lifestyles while they're, you know, the, 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 the voiceover in the documentary is talking about how bad the situation was and it just made for compelling, compelling watching. I think that's the danger of like putting all this footage out there. <laughs> you know, if your company goes down one day, Michelle, and like, you know, a blaze of glory, all of these things about oh, going yeah. to these conferences and living life, man, I can't wait to put this documentary together about your life. She thought she had it all. <laughs> I'm laughing because I literally, before we started this, just put up a post about how, I like staying in nice hotels. Like that's a a weakness of mine. So that's gonna be like my first the first photo. She Another stayed billion. here, but not anymore. Now she's eating cheese sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> if you've enjoyed this episode, help us spread the word on social media. Tag us at Pod for Creatives and let us know what stood out to you. Are you gonna watch the Hulu version if you could get access to it? I don't know. I only have I have a friend uh, who does have Hulu, but she doesn't like to share her her credentials. So <laughs> she's, I haven't even watched it yet, but I'll give you my credentials if you want to watch it. Oh, OK. No, I don't want to. Well, we can't put that on the air. Hulu's going to come down on you. This might be the start. Oh, no. It, it all started start with one. <laughs> it all started with a share of a password. 